Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leading ideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Leading Like Nehemiah, Rebuilding Together. This six-session video-based study curriculum lifts up key themes in Nehemiah's witness that can inspire and guide faith leaders today. Learn more at churchleadership.com slash Nehemiah. And remember, to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information, please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can churches partner with other organizations to effectively and comprehensively meet the needs of their communities? In this episode, we speak with Glory Mar Rivera Baez, Executive Director of REASE, about the organization's work in Puerto Rico providing services to vulnerable populations and rebuilding communities. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Jessica Anschutz, the Assistant Director of the Lewis Center for Church Leadership, and I am your host for this Leading Ideas Talk. Joining me is Glorimar Rivera-Baez, Executive Director of Reyase, Remaking Communities with Hope, the nonprofit organization of the Methodist Church of Puerto Rico, that provides services to vulnerable populations that are facing emergencies caused by poverty, lack of access to education, and atmospheric, social, and economic events. Thank you so much, Gloria Mar, for taking the time to speak with me today about Reyase's disaster relief work and community building work. Thank you so much, Jessica. It is uh, a pleasure for me to join this episode, and hopefully uh, the information and our experiences will inspire um, the listeners of this podcast to do more and join uh, different organizations working on behalf of vulnerable populations in different areas. So thank you so much. Thank you. So, Glory Mart, to set the context for our listeners, I want to invite you to talk a little bit about the issues that are facing the people of Puerto Rico today. Um, so why don't you set the stage for us? Puerto Rico is part of the United States. So as a territory of the United States, we face uh, different challenges. So we are part, but at the same time, we have different struggles, uh, political speaking, and also uh, in terms of economical, our economical situation and social situations that we have, such as some disparities in healthcare access and benefits and in other areas. So one of the major things that Puerto Rico has been uh, experiencing or some of, one of the most the challenges that we have been working with is the economical situation. So we have been in a economical recession for more than 10 years right now. So that has put a lot of burden into the families. And according to the statistics, uh, somewhere around 50% of the population of Puerto Rico is living under poverty conditions. So that represents uh, a huge challenge for the families in general 
to overcome to different uh, emergencies, such as atmospheric emergencies, the COVID-19 and other situations. So because families are already uh, struggling uh, in, in order to, having, to have access to the basic basic need supplies, and they are working in such a uh, uh, struggle, uh, economical struggle. It's very difficult for families in Puerto Rico to to be to to be on their feet uh, once uh, a disaster happens. So that was the case of Hurricane Maria, when uh, Hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto it landed in Puerto Rico back in 2017. We were already struggling with this environment that I just mentioned. Uh, so uh, for, for those organizations and for leaders that are used to work in the response of emergency, it is said that people will overcome or will recover depending on the resources and access of the resources that they have. So the information that I just share kind of set the context to better understand why it has been so difficult for communities in Puerto Rico to get back to normalcy. Uh, and we, I'm talking about those communities and families outside of the metropolitan area. So Puerto Rico is at 30 by 100 miles. So it's a, it's a small, uh, uh, geographically speaking, but uh, we have a population right now of 30.2 million people. There actually there are more people in the United States, in mainland than in Puerto Rico. But still, there are a lot of population located in Puerto Rico. So in the metropolitan area, if you visit San Juan, which is the capital of Puerto Rico, and some of the surroundings, you will have this sense of normalcy because of the tourists and the economical activities around the metropolitan area. But when you travel further uh, outside of the metropolitan area, then you will start seeing a lot of communities living you know, in, in a lot of stress in that sense. So um, the economical situation, the atmospheric emergencies that we face, such as Hurricane Maria, then we had in 2020, the earthquakes in the southwest part of the island, and also the pandemic that also affected a lot. And last September, we were uh, hit by Hurricane Fiona. So, so that, you know, puts in perspective kind of the multiple uh, situations that we are dealing with uh, and we have been dealing with for the past uh, years. That, that, is, that is a lot to deal with. And any one of those things on, on its own would, would certainly be a lot. As you reflect on the impact of Hurricane Maria on Puerto Rico, how have you adapted and changed Reyase's focus since that time? Well, Rehaciendo Comunidades con Esperanza, which is the Spanish name for this our organization, our organization, the nonprofit of the Methodist Church, Rehase, it was incorporated in 2002. So Rehase has a trajectory of 20 years, but the reality is that before Hurricane Maria, Rehase was seen as a ministry 
of the church. And I say this because sometimes we kind of um, minimize the work and impact when we use the words that we use, you know, such as ministry, and people tend to see that, you know, a ministry is something that people will do as part of their response, you know, their experience in the church. And even though it was incorporated and it was, it had access to a lot of resources because of its status as a nonprofit organization, the impact that it had was primarily to the inner uh, side of the church. So the work that Rehase used to do before Hurricane Maria was more related to training, uh, creating awareness, uh, working with volunteers, and some access to education through tutoring centers that were um, that work uh, in local churches. So that was kind of the work that Rehase was used to do uh, on a year, yearly basis. After Hurricane Maria, we had a huge opportunity, or we saw it as a huge opportunity to use Rehase as a platform to get access or have access to external resources, financial resources, and to develop uh, the capacity uh, of Rehase to expand the work and better respond to the emergency. So that was, that was I will say that the first uh, reality check. Uh, we had to, to make decisions in at a fast pace. Uh, at that time, uh, there, the whole uh, island was under a disaster declaration, an emergency declaration. The, the extent of the damage was very uh, present. Uh, we, we didn't have power electricity for months, for many months. We, there were communities that didn't, didn't have access to, uh, to water. Uh, the streets were uh, mudslides in the streets. We we were experiencing major damages all over in different municipalities, all over, even in the metropolitan area. So we knew that we that we needed to do something. And in a conversation with the bishop at that time and his uh, leadership team, we saw Rehase as the door <laughs> to, to embark in um, formal conversations with different partners. Uh, and, and we did that. You know, it was a fairly... Um, fast <laughs> we 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 were managing a lot of information and and establishing priorities was very difficult at the time so after that rehase kind of it, it it was so fast you know so rapid the way rehase expanded uh, the way i see it is we were we were work acting like little little babies we, we were we were seeing ourselves as with little potential Maybe you know that will describe. Uh, but once we we kind of shift the way we were seeing the organization opportunity, and after that we expanded, uh, and it was in a probably in a period of eight months. Uh, we before Maria we had a deficit operation. Rehasa was working under a deficit, and after that we 
put everything in order. And, and we started recruiting people with the fundings that we received. We put a lot of effort in capacity building. Uh, so we put in place an, a strategic plan to respond to Hurricane Maria. And from there, uh, we expanded to the organization that we are right now. So, so yes, um, Hurricane Maria kind of said before and after for Rehase. And for a period of five years, we managed a, a, a volume of $30 million in direct services. Uh, so, so I think that that will exemplify, you know, in a dramatic way, uh, how we saw uh, an organization that was already established. And the key component was that we saw an opportunity. And we took advantage. We, we we said, okay, we need to make some decisions. We have to make it quick. Uh, the church has its structure, but Rehase, because it's a 501c3 organization with the federal exempt and the local exempt, we were able to ac get access to federal funds, local funds, and also United Methodist Church funds uh, through OMCOR that help us to expand the work that we did uh, and with amazing results. What an inspiring story. And it's uh, really inspiring to think about the number of lives that Reyase has, has impacted in this, in this time. Now, Riasse has four areas of emphasis. Can you mm -hmm. describe the name those and describe those for our listeners? Yes, of course. Uh, so after 2020, we sat down and we kind of evaluate the scope of work and the work that we were already doing after Hurricane Maria. So we established these four focus areas, which the first one is response to emergencies, uh, including atmospheric, biological, and social emergencies. Uh, the second one is um, well-being initiatives. The third one is uh, food security. And the fourth one is access to education. Um, in the response to emergencies area, we develop uh, as part of the response to Hurricane Maria, a comprehensive case management program. Uh, we developed that program with the help of OMCOR and using OMCOR's holistic approach to disaster case management. Uh, so we, the OMCOR train, uh, um, we have a certified trainer, uh, which is our case management director, and we train the case managers in this holistic approach. After Hurricane, we ended up uh, last year the, the long-term recovery program for Maria. And we, at the end of the program, we were able to serve uh, 2,969 families through this comprehensive case management program. And this holistic approach covers a total of 28 unmet needs. So the case managers help families uh, to set or, or to develop a recovery plan, considering the specific needs that that family have. And the responsibility of a case manager is to connect that family with resources in their community, the municipality, and also we channel 
the resources that we have and the funding that we what that we receive through different proposals to help that family. In June 2022, we finished with uh, the 2,969 families and we were able to repair 1,299 houses out of that number. Uh, so, so the comprehensive case management is the program that we have been, uh, that is still open. Uh, we finished the, the project in response to Hurricane Maria, but we opened that same program to respond to the earthquakes. And this January, we opened a program to respond to the families affected by Hurricane Fiona. So we have already established a target uh, of the amount of families that we want to uh, to serve and the amount of houses that we would like to repair. And we also, in that area, we have 15 collection centers and the, the, the distribution and collection centers are set in the, are, they operate or work using church facilities. So we train the coordinators uh, and the, coordina the coordinators are basically lay people that they volunteer to provide those services. And we kind of, we have set up an structure, infrastructure for the collection centers. So it, we have established protocols and guidelines. So that's part of our capacity building efforts. Um, and then in the well-being area, we develop a program that its focus is to provide uh, or equip people uh, in how to deal or cope with the crisis, different crises. So we provide uh, psychoeducational workshops and also group therapies uh, sessions for for families affected. So our our purpose in in that area is to provide the skills and the knowledge that people need to better respond to different, uh, you know, the emotional distress and the, the different crises that they are experiencing. We also work with children and with older, um, older adults. So we work, we have different projects in that area. And we also work with the communication, the, the community of immigrants that we have um, that most of them are located in the metropolitan area and they come either from the Dominican Republic or from Haiti. So we have different ministries and these projects, we partner with local churches and we partner with other nonprofit organizations that are present uh, and are working in these areas. Uh, for the food security, we have partnered with the Food Bank of Puerto Rico, the Council of Churches, and also with private organizations that they provide food assistance. So we partner with them, we distribute uh, food vouchers throughout the year, and also food bags or grocery bags uh, to different families in at a mass scale. So, so we we provide you know mass, you know, in large amounts we distribute. And for the uh, access in education, we have four tutoring centers and we provide tutoring services and we have a strength, the tutoring center services with a um, psychosocial curriculum. So we also give uh, skills and workshops to the children so they have the skills to better respond and not being in a vulnerable uh, situation. So those are kind of the four areas and some of the projects that we have in each of them. 
I really appreciate the comprehensive approach that you all take um, to addressing the needs of your community. And I, when I look at a lot of congregations' responses um, to poverty and disaster relief, they tend to focus on um, the immediate response to the emergency, food safety, and access to education. And I think we often forget about the wellness piece can you say some more about what that wellness piece looks like for you all on the ground? Yes. So when we expanded our projects after Hurricane Maria, we were focusing our efforts primarily in the comprehensive case management, providing direct assistance, and later uh, we developed the construction unit. So, so we kind of uh, put a lot of emphasis in those areas. After the earthquakes, uh, one of the things that we immediately noticed is that even though people had, you know, their houses were affected, the it, it was very unique because there weren't a lot of structures that were damaged after the earthquakes, but people were staying outside of their houses. So people relocated to, to, to sleep, you know, in tents, uh, they didn't want to get back to their homes. Um, and what we saw, what we immediately experienced was a lack of uh, coping strategies. And the well-being and the mental health was the most affected area aspect after the earthquakes. So when we had conversations with other nonprofit organizations and disaster response agencies, everybody across the board said what the people need is uh, emotional care, spiritual care. And that was very, um, very evident in, in across the island. The, the earthquakes took place in the southwest part of the island, but even in the metropolitan area, people had, were having trouble sleeping and in their interpersonal relationships and all of that. So we were thinking and we were questioning ourselves, what should we do? to respond because we don't we didn't have the infrastructure to help families with their repairs because the houses in Puerto Rico most of the houses are in concrete so it's very expensive is very uh is very hard to to complete constructions with the concrete and that type of materials so we were thinking what can we do to help families right away and what we did was, since we have uh, our case managers are mostly either psychologists or social workers, uh, we kind of made a shift and um, in the in their task, and we put together brigades of um, emotional care, uh, and we send those brigades to the communities that. People where people were sleeping in tents and where people were, you know, in in small uh, they, they clusters or families and the communities. So we started uh, we started deploying those uh, emotional care brigades, and after that, we kind of sit down and and put together, uh, you know, a more formal approach to respond in the long run. And that's how uh, the program uh, read uh, Resiliencia Emocional Ante Un Desastre, which is uh, Emotional Resilience Program. Uh, and that was how we developed that program. So we set up a model 
uh, that incorporates the emotional care with uh, evidence-based uh, strategies uh, to deal and cope, you know, how to strengthen, uh, how to deal with your emotions, always recognizing that they are not good or bad emotions. They are emotions and we need to recognize them. And, and the key component is how we deal with the emotions and, and how can we translate or, uh, or transform those emotions into a, a good behavior, you know, or behavior that will have good, you know, good results, you know, and in, in our decision making, et cetera. So, so we incorporated those components, evidence-based components from the, from the psychology area and also the spiritual care. So for the, uh, the um, uh, therapy group sessions, the psychologists will partner with the pastor in some of the sessions. So families or the, the, the participants will have both components, the, the mental uh, aspect, but also the spiritual care. And those therapy groups, the they have five sessions. So this is fairly small. You know, is is not a long term, is not a therapeutical uh, process. So for those for for people that need to, uh, you know, receive individual in, in individual care, we will refer. Uh, and we 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 establish partnerships with different organizations that they work specifically in that area. And the other component that we developed was the these workshops. And these workshops are either a two hour or a one hour workshop in which we cover uh, the information about how we deal with emotions, how can we cope in distress, if we are in distress, if we are in a crisis, if we are experiencing an emergency such as the, an earthquake or a hurricane, etc. And the important thing is these skills are the strategies that we provide to the participants are strategies that they can put in any, any other context. If they are experiencing uh, a family crisis because they lost their job, they can put you know, they can use those strategies. If they are experiencing a, a marital, you know, or some type of crisis, they can put that in place. So I think that that's one of the areas that is a huge opportunity for church to partner with in the mental health area. And there are different, you know, good programs in different areas. So I believe this is a huge opportunity. Uh, and if we, if you, if you pay attention to the statistics in different places, you know, in different states, there is a crisis. You know, the mental health is truly a big crisis. Uh, so, so yes, we have been working at a smaller scale, but the feedback that we have received is is amazing. So people really appreciate that type of interventions. Thank you so much, Glory Mar, for highlighting the mental health crisis and, and for sharing just a little bit about how you all are working to respond to that. I hope that it can be an inspiration to our listeners. Our time together is drawing to a close, yet I feel like you have so much to, to offer and to share with our listeners. I want to invite you as we close our time together today to reflect on any words of wisdom you may have for church leaders as they seek to address the needs of their communities. Well, Jessica, I believe that the church 
and and this has been my experience as a as a as a person that grew up in the church. My father is a pastor, so I grew up in the church. I have I have been working with the church for many years, and I think that we need to adapt to the new realities of the world that we are living. And when I say, sometimes people are afraid and they think that by saying that we need to adapt is that will mean that we need to uh, distance ourselves from the, uh, you know, the, the words of Jesus and the, you know, the evangelical approach. Uh, that's not what I, you know, what I, what I feel. When I say that we need to adapt is that we need to make sure that the church is relevant to the people. If the community, the people, they don't feel that the church is relevant to their needs, to the their you know their their life you know what's the purpose you know in attending to the church and sometimes i see that the church puts a lot of attention into the way we do the worship the music and all that type of experiences and at the end of the time and at the end of the day I believe that what people really need are, you know, that we equip them with the skills, uh, resources, so they can be a better dad, better, better mom, uh, you know, they can be a better professional, you know, at their workplace, that they can better respond to the different crises. So I think that the church has a huge opportunity to transform the way we do church the way that we behave and we need to be relevant to the times and to the people around us. Otherwise, there will be, you know, the church will no longer be a place that will people lo will look at, you know, and, and, you know, so, so I think that we have a huge opportunity to reflect on that and to see what other ways, in which other ways we can serve and we can exemplify, you know, uh, Jesus' words and 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 love, and you know the um, the what Jesus has asked us to do on uh, a daily basis. Thank you so much, Gloria Meyer, for your time today, for your work, and for your ministry. May God bless and keep you. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, I feel blessed, you know, being part of this podcast. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.